Welcome back, universe. This is the SFBCPC Sci-Fi Book Club Podcast, Season 1. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Dune, directed by David Lynch in Earth Year 1984, and Jodorowsky's Dune, directed by Frank Povich in Earth Year 2013. Talk about rhythm, you won't attract the worm. You walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worm. You walk without rhythm, and you won't attract the worm. You walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worm. You never learn. Or attract the worm. Or maybe attract the worm. Bumper. As always, I'm your host, Brent Aldrich, and joining me by a holographic projection is John Love. Hi, John. Hello! How are you today? I'm good. Is it is it day where you are? Uh, it seems like it's eternal night. Okay. I'm not sure. That's fair. So, the furthest reaches of space? Something like that. You, you can't reach it, if that's what you're asking. No way. I've right. tried. Every time I try to reach out and, and, and touch your projection... Right. My hand just goes right through. Uh, sorry. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> you should never have this connection that you want so desperately. I know. It's not because you can't touch me. It's more because you have seven legs. Yeah. But. Well, every every time that you're trying to eat your uh, that bag of holographic popcorn that you're always eating during right. this, and I try to reach out and, and put my hand at the same time, so our hands will touch a little bit, you know? Yep. It never works. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're missing out because non-holographic popcorn is bullshit. <laughs> I like it, but that's just me. You're a seven-legged wrong. paper host on a pod. That's you, and you're wrong. I'm just doing me. You do you, but I would prefer if you didn't do you, actually. <laughs> do whatever you want. Uh, John, from where you're sitting, can you see these two other shadowy figures who are sitting in this pod with me? I can, but they're strangely shadowed. Yeah, I only have this one light. Uh... They could reveal themselves. You're the uh, host. You talk to them. <laughs> I can see two two shadowy figures lurking. Mm-hmm. I, I say lurking. I assume that they are because they're shadowy. Right. I would call that a lurk from what I'm seeing. All right. But you have a much better... I, I, I don't think this is lurking. Whoa. Hey. 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 Podcast S- etiquette. Spoken like a true lurker. <laughs> uh, I just, I'm just hanging out over here in the dark. Uh, hey there, um, um, do you have a body attached to your voice? Yeah. Uh, ma'am. It's, it's oh, mister. I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm a man. Uh, last time I checked. Oh, whoa. whoa. When's the last time you checked? About five minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> every, every 10 to 15 minutes, I like to make sure I check. Just sure. so I know. That's case a, somebody asks. Right. That's a safe, that's a safe time. It's a, it's a safe thing. I mean, you have to watch out for your health. For your health? Yeah. Yep. Self-examination. So, uh, I, have we met before? I don't think so. I don't think we have either. I'm not sure that I know that I'm here or not. Well, you, do you want to check right now? We can look the other way. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. All right. Um, so... It's clear, as a man. Um, uh, identify yourself, stranger. Uh, my, my name's Steve. Steve? Steve. Wow. Yeah. So, what a name. I haven't heard a name like that. I don't know how long. I heard it about five minutes ago. 
You check you, not <laughs> only check if you're name. a man, but what your name is. There's a multiple point checklist just to mm-hmm. remember. Yeah. I mean, know. if I don't remember, then who's going to remember? That's true. That's true. Well, maybe that other shadowy figure. Where am I? Where am I? I don't even know. Who, 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 who are you? Come, who are you? Uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a Chinese. Uh, we did a oh, we man, did a s- secret operation in 1980s about time traveling. Yeah, but I don't think they did a good job. You know, my teammates just sent me to random places in universe like randomly. Yeah, so just happened to be here. Did you say the 1980s? Yeah, 1980s. Yeah. And How old are you? I I don't know. I lost my memories. I think. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They See? teach me some, you know, simple English. Mm-hmm. That's uh, why I'm here. It's weird that you lost your clothes, too. You should probably get put a blanket on or oh, something. Oh, yeah, okay. Totally, totally naked. Totally it's definitely naked. a dude. That's here. definitely a man. I here. Attract. I have some books. You can uh, fashion some primitive clothing out of these. Will that work? Oh, okay. 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 Paper clothing like your clothing? Well, this is my my physical form. Oh, you have yeah, a lot of Well, I get legs. that, but like... I mean, those are paper pants. Well, I've made paper over pants seven paper to put over my paper body because it weirds people out. Right. I but think that's even weirder in some ways. Like, you don't see Steve over here putting skin pants over his skin legs. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Would you have, you, do you have paper genitals? Hold on a second. I'll take my paper Sorry, pants off. a little forward. No, I, 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 I will right now. I, you can do what you want. I'll inspect if you want. I'll check. It's been about five minutes. How often? <laughs> We can we can do like an every twenty minute thing. So how how so did you give us your name, traveler from the nineteen eighties? Oh yeah yeah. My my name is Dyson. Dyson. Yeah Dyson. Like, like the vacuum. What what vacuum? Don't you know Dyson seven point nine? The hover oh, really? ball, The hover ball vacuum. Yeah. Oh no. The super that, that, that's awful. That's awful. It like incinerates the stuff that goes into it. Oh. Like a like a black hole vacuum. Awesome. I, I don't really know, Dyson. you know. I can only assume it was named after the, the space traveler who was lost in the 1980s China. To a black hole vacuum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, my, my memory just came up a little bit. Yeah. It was named memory. after you? How do you say that in Chinese? Dyson. Oh, okay. It was so, a slight yeah. difference in the way that, slight, that yeah. he said it the first time. Well, it's the, it's the, the way it's pronounced in it's, Chinese. It's the native speaker to the, the, the full room. Exactly. Of exactly. The little bit of English he's learned. Kind of you to translate it mm-hmm. the first Very time you said it to us. Yeah, I was a little confused. Okay. And Steve? Steve. Steve. How do you say that in Chinese? I don't, do you know how to say Steve in Chinese? Steve. Oh, okay. Sutiva? <laughs> Stevia? Sutiva. Stevia. Sativa. Artificial sweetener. Are you artificially sweet? Uh, not last time I checked. Okay. Well, well, it was just five minutes like, ago? Well that's, well, that's part of the taste the taste test. Oh, on the, the, on the, the physical examination. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the recalling name. of names. Okay. Uh, birth dates and other information based on my, my, my history. Uh, a physical, like, licking test. Mm-hmm. Scent, smell. Uh, visual inspection without touching. Mm-hmm. Um, which gets hard on the lower part of my body and the back Certainly. of my body. Do you have a mirror? No, I don't. What? Never mind. We, we don't want to talk we about that. talk about mirrors? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. We'll talk about it later, maybe? Yeah, after. We don't want to. Spoilers, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, yeah, but there's other things. We'll, I'll cover them at some point. How, how'd you get here, sir? Uh, I was just, just kind of walking around and... Uh, 
Spacewalking? Spacewalking. Yeah. Yeah, like the, the suit with the the, the zero-gravity jetpack. Of course. Yeah. It's been a while, but I finally found some place to, to make a stop. Yeah. Charge up my pack and used your bathroom for my examinations. Well, um, guys, yeah. here's the deal. My name's Brent. This is John. Hi, Brent. Hi, John. He might look kind of blue and out of focus. It's because he's a holographic projection. That's so cool. You don't have to whisper. I'm not embarrassed of it. Oh. Totally fine being holographic projection. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for thinking it's cool. So, here's the thing. We are on this pod that we found, actually. And it's full of science fiction books and movies and ephemera from 900 years ago. We're reading these and sending these messages back in time to that time. We're right in the middle of one, but if you guys want, we can pause what we're doing for, oh, six hours. You guys can watch the movies we're about to talk about, and you guys can be on our podcast. What do you think about that? That's so cool. You know, I have nothing to do. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Steve? Yeah. Well, that... If we need to pause the movie every five minutes, we can do that. Will 10 that to 15. 10 to 15? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of little time. It takes about five minutes to do an inspection. Well, let's just pause this podcast right here, and we'll be back in six hours. Sounds good to me. Okay. Time passes. Man, those were some great movies. Yeah. This is so, so, so strange. This movie is so strange. Dyson, you're from the 1980s. Yes. China. Yes. Had you ever seen these movies before? Well, one of them came out in the 1980s in uh, what we've, from our research, we've learned is called the United States of America. We think Harrison Ford was the president. Oh, oh, I, I saw that movie for, for five minutes, you yeah. know. Chinese government, they censored the movie, mm-hmm. they edited the movie, they cut it down to five minutes. So I saw the movie in five minutes. Can I interject for a second? This is a damn fine cup of coffee. Oh, and hot, right? And hot. Would you like some more? Yes, I would. Did you see how many empty coffee cups I don't have on my desk because it's so clean right now? There's, there's only a couple, and they're they're neatly placed in that, that receptacle there. Exactly. It's quite nice, nice and clean, nice and tidy. I've had nothing to do with it. Ship shape, I would say. We think there's a haunting. A haunting. On this pod. I didn't say that. I said ghosts. Ghosts. What's the difference between ghosts and haunting? What's a haunting? Ghost. So some. You're right. There's no difference. <laughs> <laughs> so Dyson, have you thought about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is you know there's this is is a story about father and son. The son was kicked out by by some uh, his brother, and his son his father's brother. That's my, uh, they, they're fighting for some spice in the universe on some planet. Mm-hmm. And that's all I remember. You know, it's five minutes. I've been traveling so long in this universe. Was the five minutes you saw Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Just checking. Okay, okay, okay. I ask everyone that question. Okay, okay, okay. From now on... <laughs> Till the end of time. Exactly. So, so uh, uh, Dyson, uh, when when is the last place or time you remember being? I was near the moon. Mm-hmm. I saw some rabbit on the moon. Which moon? Uh, the moon near Earth. 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 
Earth. Earth. Yes. Earth. Is that how you say it in Chinese? Yeah. Earth. Yeah. Earth. 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 Yeah, Earth. Got it. That's the last time I remember. Mm -hmm. So what you've been doing is quite similar to what's been happening in the book. It's uh, a folding of space and time. You've been randomly showing up in different places. Exactly. In different times. Yeah, exactly. You've been smoking some spice. No, I just no. I just I just be controlled by the people. Chinese, my teammates on the planet, you know, they hit on the button. Mm -hmm. I just gone to mm -hmm. another space. How many people are on this team? It's like uh, three, three of them, three of us. Three yeah. other people besides you? Yeah, yeah. Can we say that this group here is, were teammates? Yeah, yeah, we are teammates. Yeah. All right, mm -hmm. I'm yeah. into that. Yeah. So you brought up uh, Steve, you brought up just a second ago, uh, talking about Dyson's situation. That he is traveling through space and time or bending it or whatever. Yeah. That actually is exactly how I want to get into Dune Sweet. by David Lynch. So, in it, one of the very first characters that we're introduced to is this guild navigator who is, there's this big chamber coffin thing pushed out, and this creature, mm -hmm. this like embryo monster who's speaking to the Emperor, who is the head of the guild. So, uh, John and I just read the book Dune, mm -hmm. and the guild play an important role in the book. They tr they are the only organization who can transport anyone across space. Hmm. They drive everyone, and so, to some extent, they have a lot of power, right, between houses or the Emperor. Anyone who wants to go from one planet to another, the guild moves them, basically. So we can think of the guild as a team. Yes. There, there's more than three of them, though, mm -hmm. from what I can tell. However, the, the interesting thing right away in David Lynch's Dune, especially as compared to Frank Herbert's Dune, and I realize this is going to get confusing in the book, um, in the movie, it seems as if the guild navigator controls everything. So he's the one who says that line about there being plans within plans, he name checks Paul. He, to some degree, controls even the Emperor. And also the Reverend Mother, who supposedly can see everything through this history. He also says this thing about Paul, and the Reverend Mother's like, oh snap. The Reverend Mother was that bald lady. Yes. Benny Jesseret, she's this bald lady. Mm -hmm. They have this, this matriarchy. Uh, some call them witches. Mm -hmm. um, they through consuming the spice, they can see what all the other Reverend Mothers have seen, essentially. The Guild wasn't very fond of this, this lady in the movie. They made her go away or whatever right at the beginning there. Yeah. Their, didn't, their voodoo didn't mesh with the, the other guy's magic. Mm -hmm. Well, so, and magic, it's all the spice. It's all through consumption of the spice that gives everyone their, their prescient vision. Mm. But but yeah, I, I was one really surprised how much the guild navigator seemed to control everybody in this movie, and also the fact that he was just sort of your classic David Lynch weirdo embryo monster, like in Eraserhead or like in a lot of other movies. Yeah, uh, the weird thing was that I don't think that we ever really see I mean there's never any physical description of any of the guild mm -hmm. really except for the one I think a representative of the guild at this like dinner that takes place in the book but beyond beyond that 
they, they take much more of a, you know, you can tell that their role is important, but it's much more of a background role. Like, they're pulling strings, but you don't see them doing it, uh, which is definitely way different. I thought that in the movie, the guild navigator, whoever that character was, looked like Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Kind of had a Slimer vibe to me, like a like a fleshy Slimer. Ghostbusters, uh, Ghostbusters fame. Yeah, Slimer's a pretty good guy overall. Yeah, I commune with ghosts. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, nice. Yeah, Casper is a good friend of mine. Uh, all of them, Slimer. Yeah. Slimer. You know, he, he, he's tough at parties, but mm-hmm. when you get him one on one, he's a pretty good guy. Nice. Yep. Settles down a little bit. Yeah, I'd say. I want to say, first of all, just about, in general, David Lynch's Dune, uh, Dune Book, Dune Buggy, Mm -hmm. Sand Dune. Yep. Maybe we should come up with an alternate name for one of the Dunes. It's very confusing Like Herbert, maybe, is it, what should the sooner, should the earlier one be abreaved? Dune? Or duh? Duh. Duh and Dune? Die. D? Soon D. I mean, D- Dyson. Let's just, uh, I'm going to refer to him as Herbert and Lynch. Okay. Let's, can we breathe those? Herbs. Herb and, and Lynn. Lynn. Herb and Lynn. Herb and Lynn. Herb and Lynn. Everybody on the team into that? Okay. Yeah. Team, yes. uh, salute. Go. Team. Pod. Team. Cast. Pod. Cast. Team cast. Away! Yeah! So, in Lynn... Yep. That's Herbert, right? In Lynn, I would say that the entire first hour or so, it's a slightly over two-hour film, it followed very, very much the slow, confusing pace of... Herb. Mm-hmm. So, when in, in reading the book, we were saying the first several hundred pages, you have all this language, you're confused, there's all this backstory, all these Is it pronounced Herb or Herb? Basil. Lynn. Basil? So, Basil and Lynn. Spice? Basil. Spice and Lynn. I'm, a, I'm a so lost. Well, take some spice. We're trying oh. to simplify it. Oh, okay. We're making it easier for everybody. We're shortening everything up so you don't have to say as much. Okay, thank you. If you make every word shorter, everything happens quicker. Okay. So, it makes more sense. So, I'm, I'm holding up my ethereal copy of the book. Mm-hmm. This is herb or basil or herb? Spice. This is spice. Spice. Parsley. Sage. Parse. Rosemary. Yeah, let's, let's take some time Rose to figure is quicker. out what we're talking about here. Okay. So this is one of any number of spices. Any Anytime a name of a spice comes up, we're talking about the book. Okay. okay. And any time that Lynn is, is mentioned, then we're talking about the film. The film. Okay. Yeah. Okay. One of the films. The, well, the film that the film. is actually a narrative. The film. Yeah. The Not film, the documentary. Film. Right. You can call that Doc. Yo, okay. Call that Doc Brown, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Okay, so here's what I would like to ask then, first of all. So, John and I read Cilantro. <laughs> Good. That's the book. Whereas the two of you, we just sat you down and watched the, these two films. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, talking about Lynn, the film, yeah. just generally as a film, what were your impressions? Was it 
Was it watchable? Was it not? Did you hate it? Did you love it? I'm, I'm curious about that. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was, uh, like you said, it, it seemed to be slow moving and quite disorienting at times. There's story laid out and you get introduced to these characters, but you have no idea necessarily which house, group, whatever they're joined to. Team. Team. It's a good word. That's a good word. Um, team. They're aligned with who's against what, um, who's doing what or going where. You don't who's really doing know. who, right? Right. Yeah. And, or who's talking now. You don't really know who's talking. Um, and where people are going, you don't know what any of these places are mm-hmm. and what any of the vehicles are. It was really confusing, but as things settle in and you start to understand the structure of the, the arc of the characters, everything starts to become quite interesting. And then it gets into some weird hyperlapse kind of territory where you feel like instead of moving through this story, we're jumping from point to point and covering like the major parts. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of closes up really quick right there at the end, which I don't know how that stacks up compared to uh, Saffron, but right. Lynn was quite enjoyable. So I guess, and I don't know if it's a useful comparison, would you say that you enjoyed the first half of, the, of, uh, of Lynn more than the second half, or vice versa, or equally? Or it's a stupid question because it's one film, and how can you separate them? It's a stupid question, but I enjoyed okay. the first half more. Uh, they feed off of each other, which is necessary. Like you can't have one without the other; otherwise, it's not a full end. Like, like jinx, make double jinx. spice, <laughs> right? Yeah, you got it. Great. What? I don't know. Have you ever read a book? <laughs> so, I so, read Pepper once, but in, it was kind of bland. Well, in the book, and I don't, I don't actually remember if this is really described in the film, but the the worms, the sandworms, the makers, mm-hmm. have a huge role in the production of the spice. Mm-hmm. So spice worm poop? I don't know if it's worm poop. It's I, It was still kind of <laughs> tough to confused. decipher. Because I think the larvae produce it. Yeah. I don't know. There's also something about those the larvae, they drown them because they're not allergic. The other word that's like allergic but poison. It's poison to it's them. Poison. Water's poison to the worms and so they drown the the baby worms, the yep. larvae. Ones that are only like hundred and fifty meters long. Yeah. They like vomit it up or something. Yeah, so they, they vomit like up these. the water of life. Which that's is the blue even... stuff that Paul was the only male that could ever drink yes. it and survive? Well, he's the only one that could drink an unchanged version. So mm-hmm. now we're getting into actually where the movie didn't have time to get into book stuff. Mm-hmm. But So the water of life is the result of drowning a worm and whatever, essentially they regurgitate. But Paul was the only male that could change it from poison to basically a very potent version of the spice, mm-hmm. essentially. So yeah, it would be totally toxic. It would kill almost anyone, except for the Reverend Mothers. Right. Um, but Paul was yeah the only male that could actually change the water, mm. uh, water of life into well, could make it not poisonous and make it you know, this hyper spice essentially. Mm-hmm. Are there Dyson? What do you think just about the movie in general? I I like the movie, but uh, I did a. Uh, I did uh, fall asleep a little bit in the middle of the movie. Really? How many total minutes of this movie did you see? You mean this time? Yeah, so the first time you saw oh. five, and the second time you saw like 
nine minutes. Yeah, this time I saw most all of the movie. Yeah. It was like a two hours long, and you only saw nine minutes? Nineteen minutes, I would say. Nineteen? One hour and a half. You should learn English. Sick burn. Straight from 1980s China. Burned by a vacuum. Also, I mean, this is an aside, but and I, just because my ethereal eyes aren't as good as they used to be, uh, how many legs do each of you each of you have? Two. Was there? Well, I guess Dunk. Dunk. that's all you I need. To, that's all. That's all I need to know. Uh, Dyson. I have two two legs. Great. And that's what, it. What's that third thing? Is that a tail? If it's not a leg, I don't care. Okay. And that's my axe to grind. I realized I didn't, uh, you know, have the intro to that, but yeah. I, I wanted it to be kind of a secret. You know, if, if there's too much buildup, there's like an ex- expectation for what the right answer is, mm-hmm. and I wanted it straight. Mm-hmm. So that was my axe to grind. I needed to know how many legs everybody had. I'm keeping, you know, constant watch on that. So yeah, great. Good. I mean, if I had more than two legs, you can't really do anything about it. You're just a holographic projection. I can do one thing about it, and that's get really pissed off. Oh, that's a thing. Thank you. It's not very effective. I didn't say anything about affecting anything besides my mood, my temperament. Yeah, did you see that that ring he's wearing on his pinky finger? That tells you what his mood is. Mm. Mood ring. It's always blue, because everything that I touch is ethereal and blue. Everything is blue. Everything is is, awesome. What's a blue mood? Well, see... From my perspective, in my corporeal form, I can see it changing colors. Mm-hmm. But for you guys, it's always it always looks blue. So even when you're mad, you're still in the same mood. Well, from your perspective, right? Which is the only huh. one that matters. Well, that's up for debate. Debatable. Exactly. <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of uh, a few things I'd love to hit on in the film that. Like hot ladies, Whoa. like to hit on that. Who do you have in mind? Um, no, it was talking about Shannon. Well, talking you, about Jessica. You said there was a lot to hit on. I'm just saying there aren't a lot of strong female characters in this film. That red-haired one with the the no, that's a dude. Oh, you oh oh the lady Sting. The lady Sting. Oh, Sting. Sting from Rafa. Your time. Yeah, Sting. I know Sting. Yeah, I'll be watching you. That's good song. Mm. Yes. Wow. What is that? How does that go? I'm gonna write that down and bring it back in our time. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a band uh, called the Police. Okay. Yeah, that's their song. Wait a minute. The Police. The Police. It's a stupid name for a band, but (laughs) you know, you know, it's it's. I like the band a lot, especially Sting. Could you? Please humor us with a few more bars of that song. Mm-hmm. Or any other song. What do you mean? You want me to sing more? The sing song? songs. I'll be watching you come to see. I can't remember. <laughs> if you write a few more down, we can sing it with you. Okay. Can you come, write them down on this piece come. of paper? Okay, I, I'll write it down. Okay, I'll write it down. Should we wait? Have some podcast oh. gold while he writes. Yeah, yeah, we'll give you. We'll give him a little time. We'll to give write. you a moment. Realize. No, no, no I'm done. I'm done. I'm don't oh, worry. Don't like, worry. You're the fastest writer in the whole. Okay. Universe, yeah, yeah. As far as I'm concerned. Look at how complicated okay. a Chinese character could okay, be. Okay, guys, you should uh, write a book. John, Steve, gather around. Can you guys see this? We're gonna. Okay. I can't see very well. It's a good thing well, I can read Chinese, even though I can't speak it. We'll hold it very close to you. It's can, English. Can you can you lead us, and we'll we'll follow? Which part do you want me to lead? 
Any, Start wherever you, you want. You bring us in and we'll we'll follow along right here. Three, two, one. Come to see. You belong to me. me. I'm my fool heart aches. For every step you take. Every no, no, no! It's just so beautiful. Is that oh, pool, it's beautiful, is that pool, but I can't read this. Does that say pool hall aches or poor heart breaks? You don't write very well. We should work on this. Okay, sure, sure. Please. Can you make that a segment? Uh, Dyson's karaoke corner. Oh, that sounds great. Okay. I've heard about karaoke from history class. Mm. I'm very familiar. The ghosts love it. Yeah. Yes. Do you have a favorite tune? Um, YMCA. Right. Yes. Who? What's that about? Um, I really don't know. It's just a bunch of letters that they say mm-hmm. in order, like um, the alphabet song. It's like that, but it's I would say. Ah, uh, can we carry the about seven and a half times shorter? Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's good. It sounds nice. Let's try it. Dyson, if we can get you around some other times, I'd love to have a karaoke corner. Dyson's yeah, yeah. karaoke corner, new oh. segment. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. But the problem is, I don't know where I'm gonna go. I know where I'm gonna gonna come back. You know, mm-hmm. I can't control. Mm-hmm. So we have some technologies that I don't want to reveal too much about. But 900 years from you, well, yes. 930 years from your future, yes. there's some things we can do. Okay, okay, thanks. So. In uh, Lynn, there's some things that differ from Tarragon. Sure. That I'd like to talk about, and I'm curious if if guys who've only seen the movie and not read the book, if any of this will know what they are beforehand. Exactly. <laughs> Na- name how the book is different in your estimation between the book and the movie. I think there's a lot more words in uh, mm. uh, Paprika. Paper, papery bits. Yeah, yeah papery bits. There I don't know are if, in Lynn. I don't know if we specifically talked about it in the last podcast, but yeah, there's typography, I would say, mm-hmm. in the book. Fonts. There's fonts. Kerning, there's letting. Kerning, letting. Yeah. You're talking all kinds of spacing. You're talking 18 point fonts sometimes. Page numbers? Page numbers. Whoa. Chapters. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. It's uh, pretty interesting stuff. There's none of that in Lynn. I would, yeah, I agree. So that was a good call. Yeah, this is well, an educated guess. How educated are you? Where'd you get your education? Last time I checked, about ten minutes ago on that part, I got it in pretty close to your Earth. It was a planet called Mars. Okay. Um, we were there for I was there for about four years, getting a what's called a master's degree. Sure. Um, which I think comes from your culture. Yeah, really Oh no, Yanju. Oh, I can't speak Chinese. Master, master degree. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you get a master's degree? You yeah, were yeah, yes, a yes. Scientist or something. Where'd you get yours? Uh, I got my uh, um, Earth um, Hoover Academy, USA. USA. Yeah, I went in there. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a smart. That's yeah. why. I've... Was that a is that a city? In yeah. Is that Earth another or... song like YMCA? Oh no no no! It's <laughs> slightly shorter though. It's a country called a USA. Uh-huh. It's a country. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, is there states in this country or cities? Yeah, I'd say it's twenty five percent shorter. 
than than YMCA, YMCA country. Yeah, is yeah. that a country? Well, just, no, just YMCA. Where was YMCA in comparison to USA? YMCA. What are you talking about? The song that John likes to sing. Oh, that's about a country, right? It's like a national anthem. I'd say it's half as long as SFBCPC. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll trust what you talk. You you told mm. me. But yeah, I got my degree on Mars. Uh, before that, I got a couple supplementary, like, uh, I think they're called technical degrees. And then ever since then, I've just been kind of roaming around, talking to people, learning things as I can. Hmm. Catch as catch can, if you will. Like Rome? Yeah, like Rome. Rome like when you're roaming around? Yeah, I'm roaming around. Sure. Uh, learning about... Uh, chariots? Yeah, chariots. Yeah. You can call my jetpack a chariot. No, we, we should what? get back to the movie. That's how educated Wait, I am. Wait, we're talking about a movie? You mean the Lin? Oh, the yeah, Lin. The Lin. Yeah, the Lin. So, uh, one, of the, one of the first things, I talked about this guild navigator who's like, I'm just going to call him an embryo monster because that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, very di- very disgusting. Yeah. But then uh, a, a few other things start to happen where just surprised me a little bit coming from the uh, cardamom. Cardamom. Mm. So, uh, Cardamom's the word. It's a strange thing, too, which we didn't even talk about at all on the other podcast. We just ran out of time. It is a very, like Lord of the Rings, which we did talk about a lot, too. It's a very dude-driven narrative. Uh, you've got you've got Paul, who comes out of this line of matriarchal Benny Gesserits. But, uh, here's the boy to save the day. And, uh... That's that's not missed. Now, however, we did talk about Frank Herbert writes Paul's character to actually not be that likable. Mm-hmm. And and at the end, Jessica, his mother, is maybe the one who who really comes across as like the one that you root for a little bit more. Right. Which is interesting. Again, it's kind of similar to Lord of the Rings where Frodo maybe isn't the actual hero. Anyway, I don't want to get too deep into that. In the movie, and some of this, I think, is just cinematic convention, too. It's definitely a little bit easier to just write a a hero narrative. And there's a few times where that really happens. And I think probably that's, to some extent, in the producer's cut and not in David Lynch's version. So, like, there's this moment where Paul is writing one of those worms for the first time. And there's this, like, rocking guitar solo mm-hmm. just strumming as soon as he's on top of it. And, um, and of course, we can talk about the way the movie ends. I think that there's, there's a few things that happened, one, in translation to film, two, probably in the producer's cut, that really amp up this, like, boy hero. Machismo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a part of why I feel a little bit disappointed, you know. It's very much Hollywood wording of a movie still. It's not jumping out of the circle. Mm-hmm. What's Hollywood? I can't believe you are so stupid. Hollywood. You don't Shots know how... fired. I mean, Hollywood is a, is, a, is a place in Los Angeles near United States. Famous for... Where you what? got your degree. I got my degree in Indiana. It's a state of United States. Okay. I can't believe I'm talking too much. Indiana? You yeah. say? Indiana. What? Yeah. We have, you know, I, I know at least one other person sitting at this table that has some connections to 
Yeah, it's a true. little town called Indianapolis. True. Ever heard of it? Yeah, of course. It's true. Do you know that? You talk to this no, seven-legged no, no. freak over here. <sighs> no. Well, Does everybody from Indianapolis have seven legs? I don't want to go into depth about this. We we've talked about this on a previous podcast. I am, if I if I've counted right, I'm nine hundred and twenty-eight years old. Mm. I was born in Indianapolis. Mm. Whoa. Nine hundred twenty-eight years ago. My consciousness has been uploaded several times to different bodies. The one I'm currently in, I've added to many times over. Once I started adding legs, I just couldn't stop. So I've got seven now. Once you pop, you just don't stop. Yeah, they're easy to make out of this paper. It's like a little project, like a little craft. Origami. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah. Okay, okay, interesting. So we are are Laoxiang. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, we are Laoxiang means people from same place. Okay. Okay. How do you say that? Laoxiang. 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 So we are half Laoxiang. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. How do you say two legs in, in your language? Liang Tiao. Liang Tiao. Tui. Tui. Yes. Liang That's all I need to know. Qingwa has Liang Tiao Tui. What's that? What's Qingwa? Qingwa means frog. What about a little Oh, like a space frog? What do you mean by space frog? Like a frog, frog 3.0? Yeah. Frog, you know, the green, gross animal. Kind gross? Of, kind of gross. Oh, oh. wait a minute, guys. I see, I see Steve getting a little bit restless. Is it time? Do you need to go do... I'm a little overdue. Okay. Do yeah. you need to go through your list? I can do it right here if you guys just want to turn your heads. I'm All just right. going to get started right here. Two wrists, two beards, and a... Oh, yep, I'm good. I'm still uh, I'm, hey, Steve. I'm checklist. Did you make it through the checklist? Good to go, yeah. I still have seven nipples. Okay. Yep. Still Steve? Still Steve. Still 126 years old. Oh, that's on the list. Mm-hmm. What How do you mean legs? Still two. Okay. Smell okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little... I was traveling for a while. Yeah. But overall, pretty good. All right. Visual checkout, everything was good. Physical, touchy stuff. Mm-hmm. It's as enjoyable as always. Taste? I'm a little off, but still good. How's little, your prostate? sweet. I didn't check that this time. Really? I do that every other. Okay. Uh, your liver? Do you have one? Mm, I have two. Oh, okay. Healthy. One, the other's taken most of the abuse. Yeah. Mm. Haven't they all? Yeah. So, I think just before the break, we were talking about dude stuff. Dude stuff. Dude, dude stuff. stuff. Speaking of prostates. Yeah. So uh, I, I was saying that the book and the movie are a little duty, and that also maybe gets us into a uh, Yodorovsky's Dune, of prostates. which is uh, he's your classic dude, I'd say. By all accounts, I would agree. Okay. Oh, Yodo, that documentary thing we watched. Oh, oh, Yodo, Yodo, Rolo. Right. I mean, well, granted, Yodo. there is this very specific resource he has, which is herb. Uh, I'm just going to call it standard herb this time. Uh, He has herb, the Dune book, as a a reference point in which there are not a lot of, you know, very strong female characters. It doesn't seem like necessarily a female-directed book or film uh, because the, uh, you know, the source material is not that way either. But through that documentary... He talks about all these different people that he wants to get involved, right. and none of them are female. Right. Not a one. 
and he goes through, you know, six. I mean, he specifically talks about recruiting maybe six or seven people, mm-hmm. and not yeah, none of them are, none of them are ladies. Right. Well, there's there's one, and it's here's the part that where I really noticed this. So there's Amanda Lear, who is dating or whatever Salvador Dali. Mm-hmm. Right. So she is interviewed in the documentary. She says that. Yodorovsky offered for her to be Princess Arulin, partly because she was just there, right? But it also, based on all of those interviews in Yodorovsky's Dune, it sounds as if the only person who had previously read Dune and knew anything about it was Amanda Lear, who it sounds like said to Dolly, like, you should do this. It's awesome. And so when, as soon as that happened in the documentary... That was sort of what sealed the deal for me on that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, because, yeah, they, they make almost a point of it in the documentary to mention, oh, yeah, Yodorovsky, like, Yodorovsky himself, like, oh, before, before I'd read the book, like, mm-hmm. I wanted to do this thing. And I'm trying to think, I mean, Chris Foss yeah, still artist. hasn't read it to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, 900 years in the present, he still mm-hmm. hasn't read it. Mm-hmm. He's... He's Still Walking mean, around the Galactic Center constantly talking about he hasn't read this book. Mm-hmm. Read it. I don't know. Get out of here, weirdo. There's, I mean, there's definitely more. Dali, like you said, hadn't read it at all. There was a lot. Yeah, there's just a lot of people that had no idea except for the one, you know, very minor character in the way that um, Yodorovsky was thinking about it. Very strange. But uh, they do, they do read about the director's version of this story. You want right. to talk about that a little bit? The, the director, Yodorovsky? Yeah, yeah. Yodo. Yeah. Yodo, yeah. He changed the story a little bit, I think. A lot, I think. Uh, a lot, yes. Yeah. yes. Earth, the, the, the planet, uh, what's the, the spice planet? Arrakis. <coughs> Arrakis. The freaking sublimates and goes out into the world and... And it enlightens the rest of the universe. Yeah, it, beca- it becomes essentially a spaceship at the yeah. end, which is interesting. And then turns into Paul himself, who yeah. enlightened his people. Right, and he and Paul in the in um, Tarragon. Tarragon does not. Paul does not get killed at the end of that. He kills the person who's supposed to kill him in that film, Fade Rautha. Uh, oh man, so many things we have to talk about right now. Let me summarize, it. and then and then you can go. Make it a list. How One. many? How many can be on this list? I hate to say it, but two. Um, time for your listener challenge. <laughs> All right, uh, welcome to John's listener challenge. This is uh, everyone's favorite segment. It's on every episode. I'm going to ask the listening audience, in order for them to win a prize, if you can refute the correct number that I'm going to say, um, this week's listener challenge is how many points are on your host Brent's upcoming list. I'm going to let you know it's less than three and it's more than one. So if you can refute that it's more or less than two, please call in, fax, email, uh, Brent still has a pager that I can see, mm-hmm. um, but I don't want to look down there because it's too close to his legs, which is, which are disgusting. Uh, please call in. We have a lot of prizes: Reese's Pieces, uh, a family-sized bag for fifteen people plus. So if you have a large family, it's a large family-sized bag. 
Uh, we have copies of the books. You know, we've already read them. Mm-hmm. Just get rid of them. Um, burn them. Well, yeah, burn them. Burn them for heat. We know how much how cold it is out there in the in the universe. So get these books. And that is this week's listener challenge. So on this list, one fade Rathu. Is that you pronounce that? I say Routha. Routhu. Okay. And David Lynch's Dune, played by Sting. Every breath you take. Mm hmm. And in Yodorovsky's Dune, proposed that it be played by Mick Jagger. We should talk about that relationship. Two in my list. In the. Don't make me wrong. Cinnamon. Okay. Paul lives, and it's the ending of the book is not resolved particularly. A lot is left open. In Lynn, Paul become, really becomes this like god completely and makes it rain. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean bitcoins. He makes it rain water. You guys use Bitcoin here? Yeah. Doesn't everybody? Not me. What do you use? Corn bits. Oh, we heard about those. Ooh. Oh, boy. So, also, though, in Yodorovsky's Dune, he says that... Well, so, he, he kills Paul, first of all. Mm. And then he says, Dune grows plants, animals, and becomes a paradise. And so, that's one of those points where I think in both movie adaptations, there is this pressure to have this very uh, have this very cinematic ending resolution resolution so in 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 Lynn it rains things he saves the day mm. and in in Yodos there's this similar idea that dune would become a paradise and just conclude however again with Frank Herbert the ending is very unresolved mm. and there's this whole idea throughout the book that this paradise on dune is still going to take another 500 years. So you're, to some extent, you don't have that spectacle, I guess, of, of resolution. Mm-hmm. So those are my two points which uh, you guys could talk about. Mm-hmm. Or you can talk about whatever you want because this is a free universe. Yeah, I, I mean, the uh, well, in the book specifically, in Herb, the... Um, well, at the end, it's actually sort of a negative thing that Paul becomes a savior in some ways because the yes. Fremen, this like native population, is now not thinking about this future where there could be water on the planet, which is going to take you know a time period well beyond their lifespan. So they're not thinking about that now. They are you know incited towards this religious jihad essentially, and Paul ends up foreseeing them like killing across the universe and mm-hmm. acquiring territory that way. So, you know, maybe he'll get back to his home planet Caladan, which is covered in water by force mm-hmm. and not create that sort of environment on on Arrakis or Dune itself. Um, which Paul is actually fighting against a lot in, in the book. Towards the end, it's a little ambiguous where he wants to go, mm-hmm. but uh, the the reason why I think maybe it ended up having the cinematic ending or this 
this this ending that you can at least understand. Okay, that's how it's resolved. Is that that's just the way Hollywood films work? You know, from what I've heard of Hollywood, this place, yep. uh, they they require a, an ending that people can feel satisfied with, not knowing if there's going to be another movie, even if they want to make one. Whereas, old Herb. Uh, he made five more books in this Dune universe after this this large tome here, so you know those those sort of loose ends are ended up, ended up tied over many many more pages where neither of the directors mm-hmm. would have had the luxury. So yeah, well this other thing I I brought up just casting with Sting and and or Mick Jagger. Let's start up this conversation. Let's talk about some other casting, too. Let me just throw this out there. So in Lynn, we've also got, you might know him as Agent Dale Cooper, Paul. We've got, let's see, we've got Gurney Halleck, who surprisingly is Patrick Stewart. Let's uh, just do this real quick. We're not editing this out. This is, this is a moment of podcast hey, hey. gold. I'm doing it. What is a black uh, black water? Oh, this? Yeah. You ever heard of coffee? I know. I heard about coffee, but how can how can it's anti gravity here in oh, universe in the, in the pod? Yeah, it should be floating on. It's got a high Newtonian content, and very very heavy. Mm-hmm. This bends. Steve guy thinks he's smart. Oh, John, hologram it hurt my feelings. You can't do anything about it. He's not even here. I would punch him in the face, but these, you know, the ethereal hands, they don't hurt so much. Yeah. How about a paper leg? Yeah, what about him? Kick, kick him. Yeah, give him a nasty paper cut. I can, I can do that. It's not very effective. It's not very effective, that's what I didn't say. Mm-hmm. He was just like, he just like huffed and puffed, like tried to blow you away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all it yeah. takes, a strong gust of wind. A strong gust of wind, and you are rendered ineffective in that's, a battle. Well, that's why I've anchored myself to this chair for the moment. With um, an anchor. Paper clips. I folded an anchor out of paper clips. Right. Mm-hmm. Looks quite, nice. quite impressive. I like it. Thank you. Nice. Good too. Well crafted. Well, thank if you. it wasn't actually on all of your disgusting legs, mm-hmm. I would be more willing to look at it and test the craftsmanship. Yeah, I mean, so I, I made this anchor out of paper clips. Uh, when I leave here, I actually uh, I go sleep in a, a bed I fold out of manila folders. Oh. And, uh, it was effective and cozy. And just like the head part is a padded mailer yes. as opposed to just a regular manila envelope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got some those like bubble wrap. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's nice. It sounds nice. Mm-hmm. And no sheets, as we've talked about. But time for that sheet. No way. As far as I'm concerned. So, this is coffee. I don't want to get into this either. Wait, this is coffee? I thought it was brown water. I don't drink brown water. This better be coffee. Trust it me. smells like brown water. It kind of tastes like brown water, but I was hoping it was coffee. You guys, don't even go there. Tomato, tomato. Tomato, tomato. One of my favorite parts about Herb... Is this these overlong references to coffee and how important it actually is to the characters in Dune? So I was pretty disappointed that there were no mentions of coffee oh. in the film, especially since David Lynch directed it. I know old boy loves him some coffee. Mm. Anyway, so there was in in uh, the book in Herb in Herb Tarragon Cayenne Cayenne Cayenne. Cayenne. Uh, 
There was yeah. actually coffee in this. So thing. much coffee. A lot of times. Yes. In our in our previous podcast, I spent probably twenty minutes just explaining how much I love that part of the book. Interesting. And I, and I feel like David Lynch, due to his uh, admiration or uh, indulgence in coffee, mm-hmm. seeing that would be like this is amazing, but just to be Lynch and strange. Mm-hmm. Was like I'm not going to talk about it once. Well, let's talk about that Lynch strangeness. Yeah. There's this dog that keeps appearing at the most the, the opportune times. The guy that dies from the explosion, and then the pug just pops up and runs up some stairs. Yeah, and then there's this moment where Gurney Halleck, aka uh, Patrick Stewart, John Luke Picard, uh, yeah, is just is carrying the dog into battle. Yeah, he has this dog. great line where he's like, "You are Conan's." We're go- I don't know why I'm, I did that accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Conans, we're about to kill ya! And he's just holding this pug dog, stroking it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. We're from the highlands of Caladan! <laughs> oh, you bet! <laughs> you bloody bastards! Hey! <laughs> yeah. Dyson, thoughts. Ha ha. Dumb thoughts. Great thoughts. <laughs> Best thoughts. So, I mean, so Patrick Stewart was a strange casting decision, I thought. I also, though, I have this running list of of different accents of the characters, and I was trying to decide, is there a correlation between, like, do the good guys have one accent and the bad guys have another? I don't think that's true. The bad guys look particularly orange, reddish in hue, their hair, their body. Yes. Oh. So they all looked... All you know, of the Harkonnens. Yeah. Yeah, all they had red hair. They yeah. have funny underwear, especially mm-hmm. Sting. Yeah. Say more about that. You want to talk about the design? What does your underwear look like? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, well it's made out of paper. You should have nude. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about Sting's underwear. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a blue, blue metal, but it's it's well well crafted. Well crafted. Yeah. 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 So yeah, what did do you, you think? Did, of you, did you enjoy the contours of it? I like Steen in your underwear. You know, very strange underwear. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's well, very impressive. Yeah. Do you like the underwear? No, uh, no comment. Oh. Did you, did you, is that on your list, your checklist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To make sure you're wearing underwear? Yeah, I check my underwear. Okay. The things inside my underwear, the things outside of my underwear. Yeah. Uh, the actual underwear itself. Okay. You know, uh, you know, my mom always said, Wear clean underwear. Mm-hmm. I don't remember why, but it was important. Interesting. Yeah. What's the normal list of contents for inside of your underwear? <laughs> uh, three testicles. Okay. Uh, two phalluses or, or penises. Okay. Uh, Sixteen. Uh, pubic hairs. Pubic hairs. Um, pubic and or rectal hairs. Sixteen hairs total. Okay. Uh, sometimes there's seventeen. Sometimes there's a few less. And are all those things yours? Not all the time. If I'm short a few pubic hairs, I'll make sure there are 16 full pubic hairs. Um, of course. Only two testicles are physically attached to my body. Naturally. One for, one for each penis. But yeah, I mean, that, it's, this is some personal stuff. Well, so pretty much standard operating procedure, though. Yeah. You know, yeah. standard stuff. Standard no, stuff. Nothing weird. Two butt cheeks attached to my two legs. Mm. Yeah, correct number of mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right, just wanted to check. Yep. So there's other things <laughs> like that. I'm just I'm just running through my notes right like now. My testicles that I took. Oh. Huh? What? There's what? other egg-shaped things in in the book. Hmm. The Baron's kind of egg-shaped. He's, the Baron. He's heavy, quite at the bottom. That's what I meant. Yeah. He's another dude. He's a he's a dude. Mm-hmm. He's got some 
egg shaped things growing on his face that are kind of purplish, mm-hmm. like a like a space frog 3.0. Mm-hmm. You know what space frog 3.0 is? Yeah, I run into them all the time out in the wild. They're good yeah, eating. They just hit your huh. windshield. Um, moving a little slow. I don't hit very much. I kind of run into them and then uh, eat them. Oh, yeah, I, I'm always just like, I have to turn the windshield wipers on, you know, because mm. they splatter all over the windshield. That's a benefit of spacewalking. You know, you're not high speed, so you mm. don't get the splat. Well, there's a few lines that I wrote down from the movie, too, that I, again, I, I don't know if this is David Lynch's fault or if this is the producer's fault or whatever, mm. but some of these lines that, not that Frank Herbert was the most poetic However, there's sometimes some, he was. Sometimes he absolutely was. But there's some, such as, quote, Usul, that's called the big one, when Stilgar is describing a large sandworm mm-hmm. to Paul. Usul, that's called the big one. Mm-hmm. Nah. Well, no. It might have been a result of the fact that, I mean, in the last podcast, we talked about how complex this book was. That's and. Right. We touched on 5% of anything, mm-hmm. maybe, in an hour and 40-some minutes. So it might just be that at some point you need to put in a line that's like, oh, this helps anybody that's watching know what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as we as we know, like, the book does not do a, a good job of that. Mm-hmm. In, in, like, intentionally. Like, I think the realizations come late and subtly. Yeah. So some of those lines might just be like, "Yep, uh, old old Lynn, we don't know what the heck's going on yeah. here. So can you please enlighten us and the audience? That would be great." That's another. That's another thing I wrote down actually. Now that you say that, is just who describes what information. So in the book, it might take hundreds of pages to find something out, whereas this guild navigator explains a lot of things Mm -hmm. later the reverend mother even explains some things like the water of life coming from worms Mm -hmm. which we don't find out about in the book till or later so i think i think you're absolutely right about that i think it some of it is just narrative structure people in the movie are going to have to explain what's going on Mm -hmm. and that's certainly the same thing with princess arulan overdubbing a lot of it yeah, yeah. At the beginning, these are the stakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, pay attention. Yeah. Bye. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Which is interesting that that's the role that she's given in the movie. Because actually, in the book, I think she take like takes on a pretty important, if not like like in inside of the actions of the characters' dominant role. Yeah. Which is at the beginning of every chapter. A, uh, a section from one of the books that in this world, like in this Dune universe, Princess Irulan has written. There's a section of one of her books, and so and it oftentimes references something that's gonna ha- that's happened in the in the future, and so she's sort of given this total godlike because she's from the future perspective over the entire narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, in, in the in the book, she, she has that one sort of moment, which is almost solely for the audience to understand the stakes from the very beginning. Yeah, it's it's Galadriel to begin the Lord of the Rings, um, doing exactly the same thing. Yep. Yeah, Lord of the Rings is is like uh, three movies, totally mm-hmm. ten hours, but this movie is two hours for this long book. I think 
you know, in Hollywood, they just have limited budget. They have to cut it down in two hours, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. If with, without any limitation, I don't know. They really how to direct this movie, maybe 10 hours long. Yeah. Or maybe Yoda just did the whole thing. Yeah, probably. Trilogy, things like that have worked yeah. in the past with yeah. uh, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. President Harrison Ford's uh, movie. Yeah. When he was just a young young pup. Young lad, dude, mm-hmm. if you will. Dude stuff. Yeah, just doing the Kessel Run. That's mad dude stuff. Mm-hmm. So one of the other... Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> One of the other, how? <laughs> One of the other things that comes up in the movie a lot, and I, I understand it has to be simplified, but the very beginning, and then later on at the end, there is reference to God, singular, mm-hmm. several times, and I have you know I have God question mark one God question mark written down in my paper because in the herb. Quick, by that do you mean tattooed on yourself? God written on your paper? Yeah, that's how I take my notes. Haven't you noticed that? I just, I, I just write them down my furthest left leg. I don't look. Simple. On your paper pants. On my paper pants. Or, or legs. Paper pad, pad. Interesting. It's gross. Anyway, sorry. Not to de- derail you. Well, now, now, what were you talking about exactly? God. Oh, shit. I know. Just got real. I was curious about that in the movie just for the sake of... It seems like it comes from this completely alternate universe, and then they're referencing something that is strictly a human-based Earth religion mm-hmm. based on one God. So that that theology or that mm-hmm. doesn't seem to quite line up with the space worms and intergalactic travel and and all of that. Mm-hmm. But references it just like we're supposed to understand mm-hmm. that there is one Christian God. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the the way I read Genesis is on the third day, God created sandworms. We know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but no, it, it did surprise me that just this reference to God several times, at least three times, I think, from my notes, where someone will say, well, God wants this, or whatever. I didn't write down specifically. Whereas in the book, there, there's no, well, there's an appendix that talks about religion in on well in the entire universe of Dune. And there's this kind of amazing history of religion that starts, it seems like, on Earth at, but then goes for hundreds and thousands of years and evolves and it's there's reference to these Earth religions but like all of them. So Paul carries around this this OC Bible, mm-hmm. Orange Catholic Bible. I like that like. color, yeah. And, uh, but then there's also all these others that seem to have their roots in like Buddhism or Islam or many other earth religions, but then they've evolved over thousands of years. And so, yeah, this, this reference just to sort of casually to God seemed mm-hmm. very strange for me in the, in the course of the film. I like that tie, though, from um, Herb to, to Lynn, now knowing that information, having not read Herb. It seems quite interesting that they did take this influence and, and carry it forward. And then any reference to that in the film would have been probably too in-depth to cover, but would have been interesting to have some kind of mm-hmm. mix, maybe it becomes a mixed uh, 
it's not just God. They mention a, a particular name or a set of names that mm-hmm. leaves you questioning which one we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that it was in the book. I don't know that it was ever clear, like a, a deity was ever clearly named. Uh, yeah, I don't think there was either. You know, they reference... It, the interesting thing, maybe to me, is that especially in the book, they never really reference a deity. They, ju- they just reference how so- any semblance of religion or any semblance of dogma affects people. Yeah. You know, they reference why all, like, this Bible was formed out of all of these right, older this, religions. Right, right, and this ecumenical like, council. Mm-hmm, right. How it all happened, but nothing about specifically what anybody believed in, but just how... It helped everybody function, mm-hmm. which it's like a strangely secular read of, you know, religion. Like in the book, it seems like it's all the process or, well, the, the, yeah, the process of practicing your religion without the God in some mm-hmm. ways. Because you know, I think that's useful and, inter- and mm-hmm. interesting to people. You know, what do you do when you want to be connected with your fellow man or woman, but you can't, or, but you don't have like a specific template to follow. Um, and not saying that it's, that it should be extremely difficult, but it, it is in, in some ways. It's interesting looking at that as uh, the religion as a function or the, the, the purpose of religion in mm-hmm. society, as opposed to being hung up on one religion or another. Uh, paying more attention to the overarching things that happen that that religion serves in each different culture. Mm-hmm. So it focuses on that specifically while still talking about all of them. Right. And uh, maybe it's a little bit closer to the point as to what mm-hmm. it actually does mm-hmm. as opposed to worrying about which one's right or wrong. And, and we see that, it, especially in the book. I, don't, I mean, they didn't have time again. They didn't have time to do a lot of stuff in the in the in the in old Lynn but in the book the sandworms are called makers by the Fremen because they make this you know very important resource for them but also this sort of spiritual um, drug in some ways that helps them have somewhat religious experiences so in some ways the maker becomes a god because it functions like a god mm-hmm. it produces this thing that produces their um sublime understanding of the world in some ways mm-hmm. um so yeah giving proper reverence to anything in the world that produces you know the the sort of religious result without yeah. without necessary reference to an unknowable God, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. it's all about function as far as religion goes, still. The the summary quote that I really liked in here was attributed to, gosh, maybe the, the chairman of that ecumenical council for all of the religions mm-hmm. in this universe, in the Duneverse, where within the book... This says, he, he reportedly died on Tupil, honored and beloved. His last words, quote, this is a quote within a quote. Religion must remain an outlet for people who say to themselves, I'm not the kind of person I want to be. 
Um, and so I think that that usage of of religion is actually as you described it to say that like it, it's just sort of an admission of saying like uh, yeah I'm, I'm exactly what I said I'm not the kind of person I want to be and so how do I how can I kind of transcend my own like messed upness um, into something else and whether that's through the makers vomiting this uh, you know transcendental spice vomit or some other way which is which is really like in practice with other people as you were saying yeah I mean I hadn't thought about it specifically but that sort of reference to a transformation without you know without knowing a uh, I don't know the correct terminology for this but but sort of like a an extra humanoid or, or a beyond beyond human like a spiritual deity um, is sort of more of a theme in the, throughout the whole thing than I thought yeah. like um, with that reference again to like the makers transforming this or or the, the Bene Gesserit witches um, or the reverend mothers transforming this poison into mm. something that's very useful like not only useful but like essential unbelievably important mm -hmm. which could be a reference or a metaphor for religion at all like the uh, the importance of the orange catholic bible is that it transformed religion from something that required this required this deity this all powerful deity to, in, just to something that gave you a way to live and live happily within your community but without the need to have a sort of jihad. So all of the good of religion without the poison that mm -hmm. could potentially be on the back end of it in some mm -hmm. ways. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what Frank Herbert was thinking, but it's uh, it's interesting to to think about. No, it seems I think there's some of that there because you look at Paul as a, a messiah-type character, which mm -hmm. many of those earth religions had um, at some point in their, their history or their mythology. Mm-hmm. So that seems very much in line if you look at the way Paul goes from being a uh, one of the people to transcending and becoming something else and then taking in the water of life and then becoming this godlike, powerful um, person, right. enlightened person. Right, and the interesting thing in the book is that that's not necessarily depending on whose perspective you're looking from, a good thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's almost giving religion back its its knife edge in some ways. Like, yes, this is making these people more powerful because they have essentially a godhead, mm -hmm. a real figure of change and power that their, the functional religion didn't necessarily have before. Mm -hmm. And so now that we have a Jesus, we have something to go out and slay for mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a bittersweet yeah mm -hmm. it's then that's what they say I mean in the book there's always reference to this eventual jihad mm -hmm. from the Fremen people who are very very strong incredibly adept warriors but all they needed was a hero in order to really go out and stake their claim in the universe which on some in some sense for them is good in a lot of sense for a lot of innocent people is very bad mm -hmm. when we referenced in the last or talked about in the last podcast one of the 
one of our, a really great character, uh, Liet Kynes, he ends up dying in order to save Paul, and he, as he's dying, remembers this phrase that his dad told him, which is something like, well, something like the last thing that this planet needs is a hero, because he was the one that set up, okay, in 500 years, this planet's going to be an oasis. Yeah. You just have to keep everybody focused on it. But once they were given a hero, they, they, they want to reach beyond that. They're like, we'll just take every other planet, and that'll be enough. Mm-hmm. But whereas they could have existed peacefully on this, like Eden, in some ways, mm-hmm. before they became, you know, really robust and militarized mm-hmm. by this Messiah character. Yeah, which again, though, is really interesting with with the Messiah character, um, because again, with these like Earth religions, I, th- I think. From Frank Herbert's perspective, that's probably a reflection on those. So you do have these messiah characters who I think would essentially be characterized as advocating things like peace and reconciliation, but then the way that they get kind of interpreted is in this militarized, it's our way or nothing. And so I, I think that this Paul character as a hero character and following this kind of heroic narrative, I think Frank Herbert is very aware of that narrative and the, the danger of how that gets played out often. Brown water, anybody? <laughs> Coffee, please. Okay. Nope, just brown water for you. The, uh, the notion of living within your means seems like a really interesting thing that... Uh... The idea that this planet will become an oasis in 500 years and yeah. they would be perfectly content and better suited to stay there on this planet and let it become an oasis and live within that uh, that environment and, mm-hmm. and thrive there. But once there is a hero, they, they have this thirst or this hunger um, to, to go beyond that and conquer other places and become what you would call greedy. Um, so by living within their means, they would be a much more peaceful people um, Mm-hmm. Benefit in their own their own culture, and by going further, one they risk uh, death, and, and then they're causing death in, in turn, using their warrior powers. And it just uh, that mindset has throughout history been seen over and over as a as a force, um, especially being set out on the on the grounds of a religion, mm-hmm. uh, the Crusades, um, the wars uh, during. Dyson's time, uh, different things like that. Uh, if people lived and were maybe, uh, there's a word that I'm searching for, but if they lived within their means and weren't so greedy moving out towards different things, mm-hmm. uh, things could be considered better, possibly. Yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of the things, actually, that we didn't see in Lynn was in... Herb, it's described as where the Fremen live as actually being kind of amazing, healthy places that they've cultivated very far on the southern part of Dune. They have this, they essentially bribe the guild to never fly that far south. Basically, so no one knows just like how good they have it mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of like this cultivation of the planet. And that's actually one thing we never really see. In see the film, kind of quickly in in Lynn, but not maybe to the extent that the book discusses, mm-hmm. Herb discusses. Um, mm-hmm. I don't they, even remember, but they yeah. they 
As soon as you meet the Fremen, you are instantly almost introduced to their oasis of water, oh, which right. is an yeah, yeah. extremely scarce commodity on that planet. You're absolutely right. So that happens, and that seems like, in comparison to the dry desert uh, where all the spice is at, that's that's an oasis. That's a, an amazing resource. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like in, the, in the, an herb in the book, it was much, much more so even like a paradise to some extent getting there uh dyson i see you're over there doing steve's checklist how's everything checking out it's it's okay it's okay yeah mm-hmm. yeah as, as i think of this this book i it's a very thick book mm-hmm. i don't i yeah i think the this frank guy the author has like a lot of freedom to create another religion mm. to create another whole thing i mean again in the in our time in the hollywood Director Lynch, he don't really have this much freedom. Yeah, if he created talk about too much about religion, maybe some piss some people yeah, off. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I think that's we couldn't believe on him. You know? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, if you start if you start doing some of the, especially when so you get in these appendixes at the end of that book, mm-hmm. and there's this whole history of religion. There's this whole history of. I don't remember other things. The Bene Gesserit, yeah, like one one whole appendix on them. There's this this kinds character, mm-hmm. um, this whole ecological take care of the planet, um, and yeah, I, I, you can imagine in the book, he, as you said, he can do as much of that as he wants. Mm. Whereas in the movie, it might get a little like didactic, and people might walk out. I don't know. Revolt, mm-hmm. check out. Yeah. Does it seem like in the book that that's like almost? He covers all these things in the, the the whole story, but at the end he's like, okay, maybe I should just spell these things out so the people that are reading it don't miss the things I was actually trying to say with this this yes. book. What do you think? I think that's a fairly good Assessment approximation of, of the appendixes. Appendices. That's how I say it. We've had a lot of debate on how things are pronounced recently, yeah. but Pretty yeah, I, I would say absolutely. That's the case. It might also be, I mean, that plus, I'm sort of assuming, based on how complex a lot of the narratives are, I mean, how even the economy in this mm-hmm. in this universe exists, that Frank Herbert probably had, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of notebooks written yeah. about how this world works. Yeah. And so... Definitely, all the stuff that's put in the appendices really lays stuff out, explains a lot of things that were murky as you read through the book. But he might also have just been like, "I wrote all this stuff. Where am I going to put it? Yeah, let's you know. I want people. I want to flex my intellectual muscle and and show people that I know more about this world than you do. Yeah. In some ways, yeah, which is understandable." Mm-hmm. Um, Seems like a strength of the book to to not just be like I fabricated this thing and it exists in this utopian way that mm-hmm. um, it avoids some of the structure that happens in the real world. For him to lay out all these things based on economy, religion, and that type of stuff means that he's considered all these real world things, mm-hmm. put them into this book, and made this this alternate universe a reality that operates within the same parameters and within the same limitations that are presented by actual life and actual living and different cultures, different people, different economies mm-hmm. and goods and things, which just right. seems awesome. I mean, in some ways, so we, we watched Yodorowsky's Dune, I mean, and he 
put together that gigantic book in order to try and get funding for his movie. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we could also take a look at the appendices or whatever other materials Frank Herbert had as potentially trying to help sell this novel being made. Because mm. even though the financial stakes are much lower and producing a lot of copies of a book is way less financially... way less of a financial burden... They're producing this big Hollywood movie. It's still, you know, it's still not easy to get a book published by a giant, by a big publisher back in this time, especially. Mm-hmm. So, all of these materials might have been useful in, in in showing the publishers that, yeah, I know what's going on in this novel, and yes, it's going to be really tough for readers to get past page one hundred because this is a very complex book, and I don't give a lot of hints as to what's actually going on for a while but that's not to say I don't know what's going on and that's not to say that you they won't ever have a realization as to how this narrative is actually structured mm-hmm. so on some level it could just be another like a a real world in vicious air quotes selling point for the book in a very similar way that Yodorowsky nailed down how every single one of his shots was going to go. Okay. Here's a here's a snarky question. Do you guys think Yudo gonna, would do a better job than David Lynch? So, would his wording could be... In his mind? Wow. I'm not finished talking here. I don't care. Okay, you don't care. Would this movie could be like, wow, this kind movie influence a generation like Star Wars? Is that possible? What was your question again? Uh, that's okay. a really good question. That's a really good question. Is it, uh, I have my I have my answer in mind. Unless uh, mm-hmm. Steve or Brent wants yeah. to. Wants I mean, to I think it, again, it's completely hypothetical. But I do, in Yodorovsky's mind, he definitely would have done a better job because he explicitly says that Lynch's film was a exactly. failure. Also, the documentation is tend to like you know it's mm-hmm. kind of like. Little bit mercy, like to him, you know. Mm-hmm. So, just uh, the the level of engagement he had with with Dune once he finally read the book and and went for it, and the way he took a lot of the things he mentioned spirituality, one in developing his team, and two in what he wanted this 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 thing to become. He wanted it to be a revolution. Wanted it to be in itself a messiah, um, an enlightened thing. Uh, it seems like all of that would make mm-hmm. an extremely dense and complex movie. Mm-hmm. So I think it depends on what you're basing your mm-hmm. success on, whether or not it's received as something that gained money and was an economic success or a box office success. No, or like a like a influence thing. Star Wars. Yeah, I mean they they explicitly say at the end of the movie and show many examples about how. Yodorovsky's unmade doom influenced many things for years to come in that time period. Yeah, and that movie is two years years before Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I think that, like, obviously the documentary Yodorovsky's Dune is very sympathetic towards Yodorovsky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know that I buy it. Mm -hmm. I've seen it a couple times now. And I think the more I watch it, the more skeptical of that I am. 
Um, I mean, there's there's some amazing people like that. Chris Voss, the painter, Mobius, doing the storyboards and sketches. Uh, Frank and, and H.R. Geiger, actually, also all three of the artists working on it, mm-hmm. I feel very strongly about. And like a lot of them went on to make Alien and other things like that. However, the more Yodorowsky kind of talks about it, the less I believe him almost. Mm. Um, it seems megalomaniacal. megalomaniacal. Um, it's easy to praise an idea that mm-hmm. never was made as something that would have been prolific and, mm-hmm. and grand, but in reality, reality very rarely yes. meets yeah. vision and expectations due to whoever is involved. Yeah. Just it not being made and the, yeah. is kind of proof yeah, yeah. that it didn't happen. And there were some of the influences, like obviously the team, that, uh, that artistic team went on to make Alien. Obviously, like that's great. Alien's awesome. But then some of those other connections, well, some of them where one of those artists is directly involved with another film, like that Prometheus, Mm -hmm. I can believe that. Mm -hmm. There's some of the other connections I think are tenuous at best. Mm -hmm. There's at the very end that film critic, vicious air quotes, who says, well, if Yodorowsky's doing what happened, Alien would have happened. If Alien didn't happen, Blade Runner didn't happen. If Blade Runner didn't happen, The Matrix didn't happen. I don't buy that at all. I mean, I was I was trying to do a little bit of research about the timeline, and so interesting fact. And then John, I'll let you weigh in here. So, 1971, there uh, this guy, this director Arthur Jacobs, actually options the rights for Dune. He dies. 1973, Yodorovsky is brought in. Seventy by 1976, he that's over. This Dino D whatever has purchased the rights for it. Frank Herbert works on a script, and they hire Ridley Scott to direct it. Ridley Scott walks away from it, makes Blade Runner on his own. Nineteen eighty one, they hire David Lynch. That same Dino hires David Lynch, who's just directed Elephant Man, and then he does several script rewrites and does his. So. Yeah, I, I don't entirely buy the, the narrative of, like, this spawned everything. However, obviously, like, the artistic team did some amazing things afterwards. Yeah, those guys went forward to make those other yes. movies. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily Yodo's Dune that was never made that made these things. Those people that were all involved went different directions. Mm-hmm. The fact that Ridley Scott went forward and made other movies and then later Alien, that just kind of proves that he was there went forward and just the fact that again you've covered uh, Blade Runner on your yeah on your uh, your podcast uh, those were all based off of other books right so those things would have existed in some form maybe not in the same vision or image mm-hmm. but they would have come about to some extent on their own for for being made they weren't mm-hmm. pending on the book doing being written mm-hmm. but yeah I mean as we have all touched on i mean the real luxury that jodorowsky had was and as far as in the documentary goes is that yeah this film actually didn't get made they didn't even start filming it mm-hmm. so with something that has been you know two years of real hard consideration and developing a team and storyboards etc you can say yeah this is the best storyboard of all time 
that does not necessarily translate to the best film of all time. Yeah. Especially because, you know, we've talked about how long this book is and how the David Lynch, the Lynn film, doesn't get at necessarily the real heart of it. Like, it, it skips too many important details to be a full, a really full and satisfactory version of the, of the book. And, uh, and the book that the actual book of storyboards and concept art that Yodorowsky produced with this Mobius was way bigger than this actual book. Mm -hmm. It wasn't based off of text mm -hmm. and you could, you know, obviously the scenes could go through quicker, but yeah. you know, he referenced or he mentioned that, um, you know, maybe the movie needs to be 12 hours. Well, a book and a film are different things and reading, yeah. reading for 12 hours is is much easier to pull off over four or five sittings versus a film if you have to watch the whole thing from start to finish. Mm. It's way more difficult to do that. There, there, I mean, there's not a whole lot of talk about how different that those mediums are and how the translation yeah. um, is is difficult in an, in, a, in a weird way. I mean, they mentioned how, yeah, it's tough to make it to the other from vice versa, but the experience of a book and the experience of a movie as far as your relationship to the time spent is just way different. Mm -hmm. So that consideration, you know, we reference, why don't, you know, it could have been a trilogy, and it really could have been, because that's almost like chapters. This book is actually, inside of the book, there are three, in like, books. It mm -hmm. says book one is called... I don't remember what it's actually called. I think it's called Arrakis mm. or Dune, and the first, the second one's called uh, Muad'Dib, and the last. But that is not really important. But it's it's very episodic within yeah. the book, and that would be an interesting and useful way to see the movie happen. But it, you know, so so essentially, everybody can say that the unmade thing is the best thing ever, right. and they're they might be right, mm -hmm. but m more it's more likely that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was trying to track down influence here, too, because in Lynn, the one thing that happened at the end as well, where I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, is uh, Baron Harkonnen falling to his death into the open, gaping mouth of a sandworm. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Boba Fett's already been eaten by a Sarlacc. I've already seen this happen. But I was just looking, uh, Return of the Jedi... 1983, Dune, 1984. So I don't know if D. Lynch and G. Lucas were having drinks one day, and they were like, "Hey, you know, it'd be awesome if uh, Let's throw the bad guy into a yeah. large tooth, yeah, yeah. sandworm." A, yeah, it was a humorous and very satisfying way for him to go. Man. Nothing to do with the book, no. That's, which is fine yeah. again, but yeah. but yeah, it, it was funnier than it was like. Oh, like this? Of course, that's what should happen. Yeah. He's beaten by his hammer or whatever. <laughs> also, felt like he got jettisoned out of a spaceship, and then everybody else is outside with no atmospheric problems at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like yeah. sucked out of yeah. this room, right? But nobody else is dealing with. You know. Yeah, the change in pressure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> There's atmospheric con continuity problems, but. <laughs> David Lynch really wanted him to be eaten by a sandworm and couldn't yeah. figure out how to do it, either, yeah. either special effects-wise or, you know, it, internal, like, narrative-wise. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, it worked yeah, out. physics. Yeah. yeah. And just, a, I mean, just, just a quick aside about um, Blade Runner, for mm -hmm. instance, like, 
Yeah, I mean, that book obviously existed beforehand, so mm-hmm. in some ways, fuck that movie for saying that it wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And granted, it's a, it's a pretty large departure from the film yeah. is from the book, mm-hmm. which, you know, in Yodorovsky, he talked about editing um, Frank Herbert, and I'm using it. Editing wasn't the word he used. <laughs> he, that's true. I was going to say he, the euphemism. <laughs> Editing in quotes, uh, but but that's you know there's a potential long conversation that could yeah. happen from you know making an interesting film based on the real strengths of film as a medium. Yeah, away from you know you have this great book that's mm-hmm. your basis for a script, but that's not necessarily mm-hmm. the best film form of yeah. you know of that book. Mm-hmm. Um, Though, I, I would say that even reading Dune, there were several moments in that book that I thought, like, this feels very cinematic. Mm-hmm. Like, I could, I, could, I could make this. Maybe we should, John. Maybe we should make our own Dune. But um, uh, there, there's a few of those moments where I really felt that way. There's this one where Jessica walks out of a still tent and... There's this night sky and stars, and it's this long description. There's another one where Paul's hugging on everybody one after another when he like becomes part of the tribe. You know, there's there's several moments mm-hmm. where I was reading and thinking this feels more cinematic than literary, even. Right. Which that, as you say, there's strengths of the mediums, and oh, man, you do almost feel like like I get it trying to make a two-hour movie. Of this book, I don't mm-hmm. know how you do it. I feel like Jodorowsky did a really good job of translating the book into a beautiful graphic novel, along with the help of Mobius. Mm-hmm. Um, just that they, they just for some reason weren't settled on that idea, and they wanted to produce a film out of it mm-hmm. when they could have just had this large, voluminous mm-hmm. graphic novel that just would have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Another translation: you have visual content yeah. now instead of just literary you have a visual reference of somebody's interpretation of this thing which was i think vision wise above and beyond maybe what lynch was looking at doing or anybody else that considered the movie i think he had a vision for it that was quite profound and quite prolific but to translate that to a movie again is that next step which is hard to translate that Mm -hmm. book itself was was a a wonderful creation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so based on the book what kind of universe is that? Can you try to describe the universe in your imagination besides a movie? It just just based on this book, what kind of... Just picture the universe. So, well, that's a good question. You ask about the book in particular? Yes. Okay. How you picture the, yeah. the universe in this book? Well, I'll say broadly, I had this question always about is it related to our universe or is it completely pulled out of thin air and I do think that it's tied to our universe so for instance everyone is seemingly humanoid other than there's maybe some question about the guild whether or not they are Mm -hmm. and then with Lynch of course as soon as he gets wind that they might not be it's like they're definitely not they're embryo monsters Mm -hmm. whereas in the book it's just like no one ever sees them and so people think that they've maybe evolved a certain way, but we don't know that. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, I really imagine it as familiar, I would say, 
Like, I can imagine what a sand dune looks like. Or there's even, like, references to very specific plants. Different kinds of, like, cacti. Things like that. I don't know, John. I mean, what do you... Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I don't remember specifically the timeline, but it seems like it's, you know, from Frank Herbert's understanding of what the future may be like. Like, mm-hmm. it's science fiction in this in the sense that it's a projection from his present mm-hmm. within his world to a distant future. And, uh, I mean, one of the things which we talked about on the last podcast that could be interesting as far as to like everybody else understanding the flavor of this universe is and it's especially talked about in the appendices the butler the butlerian jihad yeah which was the point in human society that the computers and machines became sentient on some level like ai was developed to a high degree and it sounded like there was a revolt, and they destroyed the machines, yeah. and they and they outlawed computers, computers of a certain order. Computers, thinking machines, and conscious <clears throat> robots. Wow. Right, because this, I mean, this, I think, takes place like eight thousand years from Frank Herbert's future, mm-hmm. and they do battle with swords mm-hmm. and shields. Shields of a different type, but shields nonetheless, mm-hmm. and they have this sort of weird feudal system, which is from you know hundreds of years ago in the listeners' past, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I mean, I would say it's a strange mix of like old timey uh, and you know future technologies that Frank Herbert sort of uh, trying to predict in some ways. Like many science fictions, you get a very well-educated look at a possible future, Mm -hmm. which many times becomes somewhat realized in reality as time passes. Mm -hmm. Some of those things become truth. And then I think the interesting point of that, the, the idea of the artificial intelligence becoming too powerful, and they outlaw it, and then that brings into the characters in this kind of feudal system they have. They have these two houses and each one of these houses have a human computer, which I thought was a very interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um, the roles that each one of those served in the two houses, mm-hmm. one being of a of an evil nature, one being of the good nature, good in quotes, and how these human computers interacted and maybe the limitations they face being uh, elevated humans from whatever things they were consuming, the the liquid they were using to power their abilities, mm-hmm. but still being human, which you kind of see with the uh, the computer from uh, Paul's house. Oh yeah, Thufur Hawat. Yeah, that with guy with the huge eyebrows. Yeah. Mentat. That's the human computer in this in the universe. Mentat, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it, it it is really interesting, and also in that voiceover with Princess Aruwan mm-hmm. at the beginning of the film. I think I wrote this down right. I could be slightly off, but I think she actually names it as 10,191 AD. 10,900... Whatever. Whereas in the book, it's never that clear exactly the timeline. So in this one, it does set you in a very specific space-time at the beginning. 
I'd say that's roughly 8,066 years in our future. Mm-hmm. So it could be correct. So it might be real. Mm-hmm. If you ever end up there, Dyson, come back okay. let us know if that becomes true reality. Okay, okay. I haven't been up there yet. I Is this don't the know. furthest in the future you've ever been? Probably, yes. I will think so, yes. Cool. Yes. Glad to have you here. Yeah, but it really doesn't matter to me. I mean, I don't... It's it's just universe. You, you don't know? care about anything. I just travel... Real punk rock about it. No. I just travel back and forth. Just, you know. Do you have any way to communicate with your team back in the 1980s? No. You got a pager? Unfortunately, no. You got a fax machine? They, they just push a button and... Yeah, you know... All the products, including that was me using the sound China, effect machine. Mm-hmm. It's not that good. That's unfortunate for you. So, like right now, at any moment, you could just yeah. But Brand, but Brand is Hooser. He said he mentioned he has certain technology to mm-hmm. you know change that this my awkward situation. Yeah, I'm I'm turning these dials right now. So effectively, he could keep you here forever. You could become his his prisoner. Ever thought of that? No. I mean, speaking of technology, in the in the lean, they they imagined so many like machines to like I don't know reference to the book. It's from the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's the movie is from. Lean from 1980, so the technology looks kind of old oh, like so? to the contemporary audience. Okay. I think. Like yeah. which in particular? Like, like I can't remember details. Like, like the details, little buttons, kind of like, like this. Mm. It's kind of very old, actually, it looks. Having seen the Blade Runner film, I, uh, I shared that same sentiment towards that. They have this... Uh, as futuristic as they can make it look, but it's still a tube-based television, which yes. is mm-hmm. archaic by the time that uh, we've seen it. And it's printing out uh, instant instant print photography, uh, little small polaroids. Self- polaroids, yeah, we know polaroids. Polaroids. Nice. polaroids. That's the word. I didn't know. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know there was a name for it. Polaroid film mm-hmm. yes. uh, attached to this tube television, which is meant to be this futuristic. Thing, but it's still limited by yes. at the time that they made the film, the technology that they had access to, which is yes, exactly. far inferior to what we have now. Uh, well, boys, you know what? I've gotten to the end of my papery notes here, mm. and uh, unless time with your pants, if you will, exactly. Now it's the time of the show where I take my pants off, I crumple them up, and I throw them in, on the floor. But we have one more tradition here on the pod. Uh, have you guys ever heard of rap? Is that a song? It, it is a song. What have you heard about it? It's people are talking about some. Just talk it up. Just sure. That's just, pre- that's pretty accurate. Yeah. I, like if somebody asked me my definition of rap, I would say so people talking about shit. Yeah. Traditionally, Traditionally over a beat. Mm. Right. I know a beat. Vegetable. Okay. Yeah, red vegetable. It's good with paprika. Yeah. We mm-hmm. have a plate of them, mm. and then we talk about shit. Over them. Uh-huh. Yes. Physically, like, they're here and our faces are over. It's more top. metaphorical, like, it's over a meal of beats. Oh, right. Nice. And more often than not, the consecutive lines will rhyme. Mm-hmm. That's about it. So, if you guys feel like trying a hand at rap, now's the time to do it. Sure. John, should we wrap this thing out? Let's wrap it up. 
I'll start, guys. Cool. My name's Dyson, and I'm here to say I'm the best time traveler in the YMCA. I've come from 1980s. That's a time for the ladies. David Lynch. Got a pocket winch for my operator. It's like a wrench, but different. Now, Dyson. I like wrench and chicken wings. Yeah. Now, steel. I'm gonna talk some shit. Gonna show this wit. David Lynch made this movie off of a book. A book that was written by a man in the past. Then he was last to write a script. 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 What? What? Lynch. Yoda was the man that made the book. It was thick and it didn't get made into a movie. Yep. 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 I'm talking about Frank Herbert and Ernie like Journey Halleck. I got a cow lick. That means my hair's weird. That means I got a beard like a Fremen. Like a lemon. They don't have beards, but if they did, they'd be sour. It's a citrus fruit. It's a moot point. It's a scooter droid. But they don't exist in this world because computers are turds. Turd rhymes with world. Your girl rhymes with... Mm, surly that doesn't rhyme with anything. Yep. 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 Frank Burton, Ernie, what? See you later, universe. Bye. Later. Later. Scarborough Fair Parsley, sage, rosemary and thyme Remember me to one who lives there She once was a true
Once was a true love. 